Okay, welcome everyone to this week's episode of React 30. I'm your host, Michael Jackson. My co-host, Ryan P. Florence. Hello. And our special guest today is Brian D. Vaughn. Hello, Brian. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. What's the D for, Brian? David, middle name. Brian Vaughn was taken on Twitter, so... Ah, the D. Yep. That's a, that, that David, that's a good strong yep. name. Good biblical name. Old Testament. <laughs> yep. I like it. Well, welcome to the show. Um, so, uh, we'll, we'll, we don't want to waste a lot of time. Oh, yeah, I forgot, I forgot our tagline. We will never waste more than 30 minutes of your time. Maybe 31 or 32. So let's dive right into it. When you said um, we don't want to waste any time, but I think we're willing to waste 30 minutes of people's time. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. We'll waste up to 30, but that's it. Not, not any more than that. So, uh, so Brian is the author of a really, really cool windowing library called React Virtualize. Now, for anybody who's listening who's, who might not be familiar with this concept of windowing, um, it's one that I, I was actually struggling with pretty hard before uh, before I, I came to React, and it's one that I actually built uh, this module that uh, Ryan and I teach in our workshops about windowing. And the, the basic idea is, you know, the screen is only so big, um, so why are we rendering, you know, 5,000 rows? Why don't we just render the, the number of rows that are actually in the view, and then as the user scrolls around, um, you know, we'll sort of fill in the pixels that they only, that they need to see. Um, and so that, that was kind of the, the concept. But before we get into React Virtualize, which is a really cool library, I just kind of wanted to, you know, intro Brian a little bit and talk about talk about his background. So Brian, you you used to work at Google. Is, is that right, on the Angular team? Uh, I wasn't on the Angular team. I was actually on the Cloud Platform team, but we used Angular. So I, I worked with Angular at Google, yeah. Um, okay, gotcha. So so uh, so Angular is, is used pretty heavily internally at Google. Then. Yes. Yeah. So what what kinds of things were you building with Angular on the on the cloud platform team? Well, uh, I was on the, um, the 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 web console, the so the management portal, um, and uh, I think the most recent couple of things I worked on were uh, sort of uh, SSL support, sort of end to end, which involved working with a lot of back-end services, and also the new search feature that's in the new rewrite of the materialized uh, console. So if you go to the Cloud Platform console and you have that top search bar and you start typing and you get a drop-down auto-completed list of... This is like Firebase 2 now, right? Uh, yes, I believe so. Okay. Yeah, that search widget uh, was the thing that I that I created. Nice. Yeah, excellent. I'm going to go use it right now. <laughs> Great. I'm sure it's changed a lot in the last year, but yeah. Oh. <laughs> uh, more bugs or fewer bugs? What do you think? Uh, hopefully, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> hopefully, just more features. I don't think uh, I don't think I was aware of any bugs before I left, but you know. Excellent. You know, sometimes it's it's funny actually. After somebody leaves the company, then you're like, oh, so glad that Paul is gone. Now we can rewrite all the garbage <laughs> that he wrote when he was here. You know, you don't think any, you don't think that happened to you, do you? At Google, you don't hopefully think hopefully not. Hopefully not. <laughs> so, um, so you you were using Angular pretty pretty heavily, um, and then someday one day you just kind of magically started using React. Is that is that how it happened? Yeah. So I uh, when I left Google, I joined a startup called Treasure Data, and um, super briefly, I guess Treasure Data is uh, essentially an analytics in the cloud company, and so we manage the infrastructure so that uh, people can ingest and analyze huge amounts of data, and so we have 
a command line interface and a web console. And I joined the team that manages the web console. And when I joined, the team had just uh, decided to undergo a uh, rewrite from Angular 1x to React for a newer console. So we, we had an old Angular console. Um, it had some problems. They weren't Angular-specific problems, per se. They were just, you know, you learn a lot when you write something. Um, mm -hmm. And we wanted to rewrite it. We wanted to add some features, improve the UI. And so the team had decided to switch with React. I had never, I'd, pl I'd played with it briefly, but like I'd ne never really had solid experience with it. But it seemed that, like a fun. Mm -hmm. Was that kind of a curveball for you? Because I mean, in, in the interview process, right, they're probably like, oh, what have you had experience with? And you're like, oh yeah, you know, I wrote a lot of, wrote a lot of Angular at Google. And they're like, great, our, our thing is built in Angular. And you're like, ah, it's perfect. <laughs> I'm, I'm great at Angular. Let's do this. And then you get there, and they're like, yeah, actually, we decided to you know, do, this, do this completely different thing. Was that a curveball for you? Uh, it, it would have been if it happened that way, but they were very transparent about it. So they, they oh. told me up front, like, we're, we're doing this. We, uh, do you have concerns? Or, and I, I, I think I was pretty open. I, I'm not uh, religious about a specific technology, I think, all sorts of frameworks have pros and cons. There's some that I've worked with that I wouldn't want to work with again, but I was excited to try React. It was uh, it was a couple of weeks of a little head-scratching and stuff because a lot of the paradigms are different. Um, a lot of them are more simple. You don't have to worry about uh, transclusion or some of the weird scope things that Angular has that cause confusion, I think. Uh, so in a lot of ways, it was good, but then there were still some times when it was like, I know how to do this, in Angular, but I don't know how to, and it's simple, but I don't know how to accomplish it, but... Uh, Forms tend to do that to people when they come to React, right? Like, my mm -hmm. model isn't just bound to these inputs. Now, how sure. do I get all of that stuff out of my form? In yeah. Angular, it was just sitting there for me. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. So, so, they, so it wasn't too much of a curveball. They were pretty transparent for you. Um, you know, I, I think I've actually used Treasure Data. Isn't it, didn't it kind of start in, like, the Ruby community? Yeah, we have uh, some of our some of our engineers are really active in Ruby and Rails. Like core con contribute to core releases and stuff. Um, that's right. That's right. So yeah. so when you guys you know you're collecting it, it's it's like a logging, but it's I mean that's kind of simplifying it, right? I mean you guys collect all sorts of data, but mm -hmm. but you guys collect just massive amounts of data. So if you want to show that, I'm starting to see now where the you know React virtualized comes into the um, into the yeah. equation here, right? Because you're sure. you're you're building. You said you're working on the web UI, mm -hmm. uh, which means you're probably building tables that are you know have millions of rows, right? Yeah, we have to display. Uh, <laughs> we don't display millions, but we do have uh, a lot of data for sure. And some of the unique challenges that we faced was that we also have not just a lot of rows, but a lot of columns. And some of the existing uh, windowing libraries like Fixed Data Table or React Infinite, mm -hmm. they really only virtualize on one axis, you know, so mm -hmm. typically vertical. So that was, there were sort of two reasons that prompted me to run off and, and, and build this. And it wasn't a non-invented here sort of thing. It was just that there wasn't anything um, that virtualized or windowed both horizontally and vertically. Um, and there were also the existing solutions didn't allow you to use properties to programmatically jump to a cell, which was pretty important for our console. So like if you're writing a query or you're editing a schema or something and you, you have a problem with your data, we need to jump you to the specific spot. We can't just say, there's a couple thousand rows and one of them has a problem, find it. <laughs> so, um, so the support of those two features was sort of what, what sparked it. Well, it seems a lot more uh, generic too than 
uh, most of them that I've seen. Most of them have some sort of constraint on like, oh, you have to have fixed heights or it's got to look like this. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, I was cruising through your API yesterday and uh, it, it looked like you've done an excellent job of just making this really generic and anyone who needs windowing can probably use this. Yeah, thank you. I think it's, yeah, it's been pretty exciting because it's been, it's been, we've been able to use it in a lot of contexts and there are some components in React Virtualize that I have never used in a production app, but I've thought, I've got feedback from people and I thought, hey, it would be useful to add this functionality and, and people have used it and they show things they've built with it and it's really cool. And I mean, there are additional, like, components that have been released on top of it, um, like there's one for Jed Watson's React Select that ties in the virtualization and the select. There's a really slick uh, date picker, and there's a really slick drag-and-drop um, library that someone in the community released on top of it that are just really cool to see because it's used in ways I didn't envision when I started it, which is really exciting. Um, so how did, you, how did you decide to try to generalize your problem uh, into the solution and then decide to open source this? Like, why not just keep it in-house and make your life a little easier? Um, yeah, I've, I've done a lot of open source stuff. This is, this is the most popular one, for sure, that I've, that I've personally worked on, but I really like open source. I think, um, for one, it's just it feels like you're giving back, which is nice. I mean, I benefit from open source all the time. Um, but it's also... I think one of the reasons I like front-end engineering versus back-end is that I like to build things that people put their hands on, but with open source, it's, yeah. it's even cooler because other engineers are doing it, and then you get emails or, or GitHub comments, and they say, like, look what I built with this thing, and that's, like, really exciting because it's, it's something that many times you think, wow, that's, like, really cool. That's cooler than what I've built with it, and, but, you know, it's, that's great. So I think it's just... Uh, uh, I thought there was an opportunity. Uh, I talked to some coworkers. They thought that there was an opportunity too that we could make like, the hey, like there, this would fill a, fill a niche that doesn't have something currently in the uh, ecosystem. And so, uh, yeah, I just jumped on it. it seemed cool. Yeah. Um, what's uh, what's something someone showed you that maybe, and maybe this hasn't happened, but something that just like really surprised you? Like, whoa, I never even thought of using it in that context. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I was, I was going to ask a, kind of a similar question. It, it, if there's any, if there's any time when somebody's been like, "Hey, you know, I, I want to build this, but I don't really think you have API for it, and I kind of need to, I kind of need to build it like this," you know, and something yeah. that you like just weren't anticipating. Yeah, um, there's been a couple of those. Um, Content King uh, recently showed uh, showed a site with me that um, they they built some really cool. Uh, sort of an analytics tool that tells you, um, gives you insights into things that might be, uh, that you could maybe do to improve your website. And um, they built a really nice uh, sort of fixed header table um, on top of it that, just a really slick UI. Um, there have been people that have built Gantt charts on it, um, like really slick looking virtualized uh, dependency charts on it. There have been, um, I mean, even the thing I mentioned recently, the, the date picker um, component is super cool. Uh, I, I never thought, like, hey, this would be something that could be used to create, like, an infinitely scrolling year-month day picker, but, um, I mean, I guess I, I tried really hard to make the components generic enough to be able to be used for anything, but I didn't conceive of these uses of them, and just, I'm, yeah, it's, it's cool to see that they worked out. That's cool. Um, do, you have, uh, do you have any... Uh, okay, so I, I've tried to build some of these things and make them accessible, and... 
wondering if you've figured out the trick. But our problem was always that uh, there's no scrolling with a virtual cursor, right? When people are using a screen reader. Mm -hmm. um, have you? What have you done to address that? Did you figure out some trick to solve it, or is it maybe just not something you've had to worry about yet in it? Yeah, accessibility is tough, um, and it's easy to uh, not give it enough thought if you don't have the particular challenge because it's not in the front of your mind. But I have um, I have put some effort into it. So, uh, for instance, uh, React Virtualize sets all of the appropriate ARIA roles. Um, and labels and stuff, hints and stuff for uh, for screen readers. Um, also, the tab index and such is correct for all of the cells, um, so that if you, for instance, can't use a, a mouse um, and you only have the keyboard, you can tab around to rows or cells and use arrow keys to navigate. Um, and I've built some uh, higher order components in the library as well to further help with this. So there's one called the arrow key stepper, which makes it sort of so that you can use your arrow keys to navigate, and it snaps you to a specific cell. OK, I'm um, doing that one right now, actually. That's, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Yeah, so it, it is something that I've spent a lot of time in thought. I'm sure it could be improved. And this is something where uh, I really like getting input from the community because I'm not an accessibility expert. I know the basics, and I try to sort of, I read articles about like things you can do, but I, it's still not something that I've had a deep experience with. So. I'm sure I'll find and hear from others like more ways to improve it, but it is an important core feature, I think. Yeah, it, uh, from screwing around with it right here, right now, it, it looks looks pretty good. The, the the great irony of web accessibility is that learning how to do it is so inaccessible. Mm -hmm. I was just going to say, I think you could actually have like a pretty good consulting business if that was your only thing. You know, <laughs> if you were just like, I will make your Site accessible. I mean, I built that uh, that little calculator demo last week, and and uh, I think somebody somebody would you know went to see if it would work with voiceover. Well, first of all, he said, "I'm going to test this out with VO," and I was like, "What's VO?" <laughs> and it's like Ryan's like voiceover. I was like, "Oh, voiceover, okay." Um, but anyway, I, I I I'm like you, Brian. I would love to have just sort of somebody who's really good at that stuff to like. Take a look at my stuff and be like, "Hey, you know, here's where you could." I think, and I think a lot of developers feel the same way. Um, it, it would be great to get some. That was actually my plan track. before uh, React showed up, and you and I decided to do this workshop thing. Oh yeah. I was actually thinking about doing it for accessibility instead, but no, now I'm out of practice. I, I ruined no. <laughs> the thing. The thing that I wanted, I killed it. <laughs> Okay, so I, I noticed you also have like so that so this arrow key stepper, this accessibility one, this is one that's just sort of one of your higher order components. Um, you've also got quite a few other things. You've got one that's like loading data here, I can see. So you've got like a, a data cache, and then as I scroll, um, you know, you're automatically firing off requests for more data and then loading that in. Um, um, you know, even doing things like blanking out the cells. Um, to make it look like there could be something there if I'm scrolling quickly and then loading in the actual text as as data loads. Mm -hmm. um, is that was that driven by your own use case as well, or was that something that somebody contributed? Uh, no, it was uh, it was something I built thinking. Um, so I I've been very careful with this library not to introduce bloat um, because the whole purpose of the library is performance, and so if I try to do too much, it hurts performance. So I've tried to make 
features opt-in. And I really like the higher to com component sort of uh, pattern, and I really like the function children pattern um, because they yeah. make composition really nice. Like you can arbitrarily compose all of these things or just one of them if you want. So uh, at the base, at the base foundation level, there's collection and there's grid. Those are the two types of virtualized data. Collection is scrambled. The index in the collection has no correlation with the position on the screen, and grid is uh, checkerboard. And everything else, you bolt on top of those. So with um, the specifically with the infinite loader that you're talking about, I thought, like, gee, this would be useful. I think I can imagine people using this, and so I built it. And then uh, a couple months later, I found a use for it in one of my production applications, and I got to plug it in. But I didn't use it for a while at first, which is actually the case with a lot of these components. Um, uh, I've had an idea, or there's been a conversation I've had with someone that sparked the idea, and so I built the thing, and um, almost all of them I've later found uses for. Uh, but they started off as just sort of a, something I thought would be generically useful. Awesome. I'm looking at the folder structure you've got in here. And uh, I'm intrigued. We've I'm got collection.js, and then its sibling is collection.test.js, and <laughs> collection.example.js, and collection.example.css. So, so you just got this folder, collection, and then right there is the code, the tests, and an example. Mm -hmm. um, so this is a... How do you arrive at that? What do you like about it? This is a pattern that we follow at Treasure Data in our console, um, and it was sort of, uh, I think, initially influenced by sort of community recommendations, and then also some things that we just sort of try and find out how we like. But the um, the basic idea is that the code, the test for the code, and if you want to have like a visual test harness, which is what the example file is, all live all oh, in the styles. They all live right there as siblings because this makes it really easy. If you're changing one, you think about you sort of think about it as an encapsulated unit rather than having a tests folder and a demo folder and, and have things spread out. Um, and I think using, uh, you know, using Webpack, for instance, makes it really easy. You can just give it file, file patterns, and you can just say, when I'm running my tests, you look for everything that's star.test.js. And when I'm building the demo site, just grab everything that's .example.js. Um, so it, it, uh, it's nice. I think it makes it... Um, I spend less time sort of swiping up and down in the, uh, the, the file system navigator on the left side looking for related files um, if it's all right in, the right in the same place. Cool. Yeah, I think we sometimes think that that stuff is like just trivial and like, oh, that's not a big deal if you just need to go down deeper in the file system. But, man, day to day, if you can cut that junk out. Yeah, yeah for sure. I think it's probably a bigger deal than we all probably want to admit. Yeah. So, so I'm not sure if you... Um, if you know this or not, but none of us are using Webpack anymore. We're all using Rollup. <laughs> so I just wanted to pass that along you know, in case you wanted to remain on the latest sort of... Yeah, this is a, this is a great community to try to keep up with. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think Rollup sounds really cool for libraries, so it is something that uh, would be appropriate to try out at some point. Um, I, I also, though, you know, I try to, I try to be pragmatic about everything I do and I try to, in that regard, I try to keep uh, similar technologies. So if I'm working with, for instance, Webpack at work every day and CSS modules and React, it's much easier if I'm trying to maintain open source stuff nights and weekends if they use similar tools. So just do that, yeah. I keep myself, so I don't have to switch gears too many times because context switches are expensive. 
so I gotta, I gotta, I'm gonna context switch this conversation. Dude, hold on, hold on, hold on. Oh, never mind. <laughs> I'm not. No, no, you are. After I'm just gonna like give Brian a virtual high five because context switch is the thing that drove me to React, mm. uh, where I was like, I had my template file and I had my controller file and I had my CSS file and I was like, ah, I'm switching context, you know, just switching tabs between these mm -hmm. files. So, hey, if you're ever gonna say context switch. You know, re you're trying to reduce that, you get a high five from me. That's awesome. <laughs> All right, now we can switch context. Go ahead. Uh, in economics, we call that sauntering, <laughs> uh, where, where workers in a factory, and if you have them not specialized, and you have them, like, make the nail, and now go over here and put the nail in the thing, uh, when mm -hmm. they switch from one task to another, they don't go straight over to that task. They saunter mm -hmm. over to it. <laughs> <laughs> so then you can calculate how much you're spending... On sauntering, is yeah, that it? yeah, basically, and so that's why you have division of labor and specialization is uh, it cuts out sauntering, and and yeah, same thing. We saunter on over to our CSS, like, oh uh, wait, it's almost lunch. Maybe I won't do the CSS. Right now. <laughs> um, no, I was going to ask you um, as you were implementing React Virtualized. Uh, are there any? Do you have like any like little stories about like something that React just really delighted you, like, oh, whoa, this this made this way easier than I expected, or were there any things where you hit it and you're like, okay, React is making this feel a little bit weird, like sometimes when people start trying to figure out a controlled component versus an uncontrolled component and can't quite identify that their component is one of those or is not one of those. Sure. Uh, yeah, so something that surprised you that made it easier in React and maybe something that you didn't expect that made it a little bit more difficult. Okay. Yeah, I can. I can. I can think of one of, of both. I think. Um, well, at a high level, when I switched, when I made the switch from Angular to React, one of the things that I found most pleasing was that test became so simple. And I think this is largely because of the framework, but I think it's also because of the sort of best practices the, the community has encouraged. And so, like, um, folks uh, that have really sort of pushed the idea of dumb components and item potent and you give them properties and they return the same thing and there's the whole, like, it's a pure component. Um, if its properties changes, it changes. Otherwise, it doesn't. Like, that whole mindset makes for testing is so simple and I, and I really like that. I, you know, compared to working with Angular where you're spending a lot of time, oftentimes, um, sort of mocking and stubbing services um, to do your testing. Um, and I know you can achieve the same result with Angular, but I feel like sort of it's you're you're pushed that way with React um, more obviously, which I, I liked. And I think um, the pit of success, as they like to call it. Yeah. <laughs> so that's been a that's been a great uh, a great pleasure. Um, one of the things that has been sort of challenging, um, uh, I guess, would be uh, there's a there's a component, um, a higher order component in Virtualized called Cell Measurer, and its purpose is to if you don't know anything about your data ahead of time, but you still want a window, then you can give React Virtualize some hints that you say basically, I think my rows are probably around this height, or I think my columns are around this width. And then at runtime, it will use cell measure to measure the cells for you. Um, so this incurs a little bit more overhead, but it helps people that don't know anything about their data ahead of time. Cell measure has been a bit tricky, though, because within the React ecosystem, uh, because of the fact that they've got the virtual DOM and the, like, the representation of the tree over there, and because of the fact that they're wrapping events with synthetic events and they're doing sort of smart state updates and everything, 
you have to stay within that ecosystem. And with something like Cell Measure, you kind of, I find myself wanting to break out of it temporarily. I want to sort of just put this on the page somewhere, hidden, measure its content, and then go. But that causes problems with context for things like React Router, um, its link components and stuff. And so I found that a little challenging. Um, and I think that's still a little bit of an open question to me because the cost of rendering into a new subtree just to measure and unmounting is actually non... It's, it's not huge, but it adds up. Yeah, it's, but not, I, it's not trivial. Yeah, and I don't know a way to avoid it, unfortunately. Um, so, like, that's an open discussion still. Are you familiar with... Uh, um, it's a method on React called unstable render into container. Yes. It's okay. prefixed with, like, an underscore or two. So I'm looking, I'm looking yeah. at cell measure, and it's creating a portal over here, but I don't see it using that. Um, anyway, but, yeah, it... It's tricky. Uh, I did a demo a long time ago with a magic move at React Conf. Same thing. You know, you move all the stuff to the side, measure it, come back. Yeah. It, uh, it's a little weird. So I, I'm actually using the uh, unstable render into container um, farther down in cell measure. I was in, originally using static render to, to string. Um, there it is. And then someone pointed out, oh, you could probably use this other method, and it would be friendlier to things with context like link. Um, and I switched to it, and it is it is friendlier to them, but it incurs the cost of mounting and unmounting. Um, so you know, there's trade-offs. Uh, it's it's still faster, significantly faster than not windowing, but that's something that I haven't found like the right. Uh, if there is an escape hatch mechanism for that sort of a thing, the right approach to it yet. Yeah. Yeah. If only Link would let you pass some props to it instead of relying on context. <laughs> yeah, context, context is this nice... It's such a nice feature, but it does cause some problems every now and then. Ah, it's so, so important, important, though. So important. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes, uh, do you, sometimes do you, use you just need global. <laughs> do you use context in uh, React Virtualized anywhere? Uh, I don't use it in React Virtualized, no. Um, I have used it a little bit in production apps, um, mostly actually to talk with React Router, um, similar to how Link does. Um, and uh, you know, another big obvious place to use it is for localization. Um, mm -hmm. I think it's super, it's super critical for things like that, but typically I think probably to avoid it, so it's not something I've used much of. Cool. Uh, okay, so this is awesome. I think we've done a great deep dive into, into Virtualize. Um, we've talked about it a lot. Thank you so much, Brian, for, yeah. for taking the deep dive with us and taking the time to, to talk about it with us. Uh, I think it's a great library. It's come up a couple of times in our, in our workshops, um, and uh, people really seem to enjoy using it. So thank you for contributing back to, to the community. Um, Absolutely. There was, there was one other thing that you said on Twitter the other day that I just wanted to touch on briefly before we, uh, before we close here, because I think we're pulling up on 30 minutes. Um, but uh, it, was, it was, oh, gosh. I, I should probably pull up the tweet so I'm not just, like, talking whatever. <laughs> um, but you said, and, and I retweeted it because I thought, wow, that, that really sounds great. Um, you, you said something about how, you know, when, you've, when you got to React... Um, you know, how everybody in the community was so helpful um, in that, you know, you, you really enjoyed basically being a part of the community. Um, could, you, could you talk a little bit more about that and kind of, you know, 
what in particular did you find, um, you know, or maybe even call out some people you think have been pretty helpful or, um, you know, some things that you've been helped with by, by the community? He said, uh, I really enjoy interacting with other React devs in the OSS community. As a whole, folks seem very appreciative, kind, and understanding. Yeah, that's that's been my experience as well. Um, and, I'm, and I'm not sure if it's just because I'm a, a white guy <laughs> that that's happened. Um, probably a little bit of that. Um, but anyway, I just wanted to kind of get your experience or kind of yeah. some of your comments on that as well. For sure. So um, I think, uh, you know, imposter syndrome is a thing in our field and probably in a lot of fields. Um, CS is such a huge field that it's impossible for anyone to know even a significant portion of it. And so uh, it's really easy to look around and think, like, oh, I don't know this. I'm, I'm terrible. I'm not an engineer. And, like, you get in your head. And so, like... I think there are certain communities within um, engineering that uh, maybe make that, that don't help with that feeling. There are certain discussions and there are certain ways to respond to issues that, and I'm sure I've done this in the past, I'm sure that you, it's easy to make someone feel belittled by, by responding. So um, I think uh, the React community, uh, all the people that I've interacted with on the open source projects that I run and they're not, um, the, the, it's not just React, but specifically within React, I feel like the interactions have been almost overwhelmingly positive. People have been really appreciative. Uh, you don't, you know, you see the horror stories of GitHub issues filed where people say, like, this is broke fix. I can't believe you haven't fixed it already. This is ridiculous. Like, I haven't had those. I've had really positive people always start by saying, thanks so much for doing this, and here's a thing. Would you be willing to do it? Um, and some of the... I don't like the term thought leader, but some of the thought provokers in the community, um, some of the big big names and stuff that I've interacted with on Twitter and on GitHub have also been super nice. So like Dan Abramov was one of the reasons why React Virtualized took off initially because he tweeted about it and uh, Redux Search, another library um, that uh, me and a colleague wrote, and got a lot of attention to it. Um, he didn't have to do that. I mean, he's he's got a big name for himself, but he's he's been very encouraging and kind, and like I feel like that same pattern I've seen in pretty much everyone I've, I've interacted with. Um, yeah, so it's just been very, very positive. Uh, awesome, awesome. Yeah. Thank, you. Thank you for taking the time to speak to that. I think it's important when things are kind of, um, you know, when, when, I don't know, there's, there's, there's been some talk recently about, you know, kind of questionable behavior in the, in the React community, and I'm, and I, I'm not saying that that doesn't happen. Undoubtedly, there are going to be some bad actors in every single community that you go to. But I think, you know, just like it's important to highlight that and, and try and weed that out and get that out of the community, I think it's also important to highlight um, the good that is going on in the community and the, the, you know, the people who are, you know, really helping and, um, you know, just just kind and, and good people. And I've, I've found the exact same thing in the React community. I've found that um, people on the whole are... You know, they're not just like trolling you. They're not just going to show up on your GitHub and be like, "Oh, this sucks. You're you're dumb." <laughs> um, it's going to be like very specific, most of the time, very helpful feedback. Um, and uh, and so anyway, I've I've just really enjoyed that and appreciated that from uh, from getting into React. Yeah. Ryan, anything to say on this before we close? Um, no, I think this has been very it's been very fun, uh, and it's really exciting to see you know a project take off, and so uh, if anyone hasn't 
checked out React Virtualize already, check it out, and I'd love to hear thoughts and feedback. There's some discussion going on right now on GitHub about some ways to squeeze more performance out while scrolling, so that's an area. If you have ideas, I'd love to get input from them, and uh, yeah, I really appreciate the opportunity. Absolutely. Best of luck to you with uh, with everything with React Virtualized, and hopefully we'll, uh, you know, won't be too long before we get to talk to you again soon. Sounds great. Thanks a bunch. Thanks, Brian.